episode 10 of Beyond the Desk, a podcast of West Dallas Public Library, where we talk about books, resources, lifelong learning, and what makes our community great. I'm Sarah, and we're sharing the best books we've read this year. This is part two of our conversation, which includes Desiree, a librarian like me, as well as Michelle and Heather, library users who frequently attend our book clubs here at WAPL. In this episode, we chat about food, paranormal romance, and reimagining Greek myths. Michelle, you mentioned that you enjoyed Educated, which was a memoir, and I've read a lot of really good books this year, and some of them I talked about on the podcast before, and some of them I read with Book Club, but one of the other really standouts for me was one I read recently. It was published this year. It's Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner, and I would categorize it as it could be considered a food memoir, but it could also fall into the subgenre of grief memoir. It's really about Michelle's relationship with her mother. And she is a musician. She performs as Japanese Breakfast. I wasn't familiar with her musical career. And interestingly, she says pretty early on in her story that she has a degree in creative writing and I think it's film. And it really shows the writing is very, very good. She doesn't really talk that much about her musical career. It kind of comes into play towards the end of the book. But again, it's really about her experience with her mom. Even though her stage name is Japanese Breakfast, she's Korean-American, and her mom was Korean, and her dad was a white man. They met in Korea when her dad was living in Korea for a little while. They initially were living abroad for a little bit in Korea, and they moved to, uh, I think, a couple of other countries before they came to the U.S. And Michelle grows up in Eugene, Oregon, and a lot of her book deals with her kind of straddling these two cultures. So in Eugene, she's one of the only or the only Asian American in her class, and she feels like she's doesn't fit in with all the other American kids, even though her mom looks at her and says, you know, you're American. But she feels like the Asian girl in her class. And then when she goes with her mom, they go during the summers to visit her mom's side of the family in Korea, and they stay for an extended period. And when she's there, she doesn't quite fit in either, and she's kind of the, the white girl in Korea. And so she talks a lot about that. By the way, if you live around here, you might not know H Mart. H Mart is a Korean grocery store, so that's what that reference is in the title. And this book started out with her essay called Crying in H Mart, and it's the beginning of her story where she's thinking about her mom, and her mom gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And one of her aunts, her mother's sister, who was living in Korea, had that cancer as well. So Michelle ends up going to, she was living in Philadelphia at the time when her mom was diagnosed. She ends up moving back home to Eugene to be one of her mother's caretakers. And they had a complicated relationship. A lot of mother-daughter relationships, I think, can be complicated. And when 
Michelle was young. She was an only child, and her mom was a full-time mom, and so they were really close when she was younger. And they also lived in a more secluded part of town, so she didn't have a lot of kids that she was, you know, neighborhood kids that she was playing with. She was very close with her mom. She was a very adventurous eater, and so her mom would be very proud of her when she would try things that were you know, not what a, a young girl would typically eat. And then as she got into her teenage years, she struggled a little bit with, I think it was depression, and she grew apart from her mom, and I think she rebelled. So when her mom is diagnosed, it was kind of like as they were just starting to reconnect and repair their relationship and everything. So she does get this time to be with her mom, which is really nice. One of the things she wants to do for her mom as she's getting these treatments and you know doesn't have an appetite, she wants to try to learn some new dishes. And she really becomes more interested in Korean culture. Like I think her mom wanted her to learn Korean when she was younger and she, she just wasn't into it. And so she starts to just be more interested in that part of her life and she starts trying out different Korean dishes so one of the I think really pleasures of the book is getting to read about the food I always like reading about food whether it's (laughs) in a memoir or fiction I think um, it's always fun the other thing is I would say even though her mom dies and and that's kind of you know that from the get-go that's why she's crying in H Mart It's not an overly sad book. I thought she did a beautiful job of describing their relationship, and her relationship with her mother informs her music, and that's what she talks about near the end of the book. It's very moving, so I would say if anybody is anxious about reading a book that sounds like it's too sad, like I think about when my mom died in 2010, shortly after, like in maybe the few years after that, I wanted to read what I would consider a grief memoir, and I was trying to convince my book club to read one. They were like, oh no, that's going to be too sad, we can't read that. So I would say if you lost someone recently, maybe it would be sad for you or too hard, but it might also be therapeutic. I don't know. I, I really loved it, and I think she writes beautifully, and I it made me interested in her music too so I started listening a little bit to her music and I really hope she writes another book and it would be interesting if she wrote about her musical career I mean I think she's on her third album so maybe not right away I don't know depends on how she does it but I definitely would be interested in reading another book from her maybe she'll write a fiction book maybe yeah yeah, that creative writing. That's right. Background. Yeah. yeah. How did you hear about crying in H Mart? It got a good amount of buzz, and it's been a high demand hold mm-hmm. at the library. And I don't know. I think it appealed to me in part because it was a food memoir and about a mother daughter relationship. And I ended up buying it because I didn't want to wait. For it, but I will say that I'm planning on discussing it for Nonfiction Book Club next year. We kind of put together a calendar of 
books that we want to discuss for that book club, and that's on the list. So I hope you guys can make it. Excellent. <laughs> I'll mark my calendar. Speaking of food, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day. One of my really good friends in middle school was Korean, mm -hmm. and her parents were from Korea. My family was very reserved with food. I am not. But I went over to her house, and she made homemade kimchi. Mm -hmm. When you have homemade kimchi the first time, everything else pales in comparison. I mean, it was just so good. I ate, I swear, half the pot. Yeah. Every time I go somewhere, I got to try it, see if it's as good. <laughs> <laughs> I read so many books during the pandemic because I was not working. So there were so many to choose from, but I decided to go with one of my favorite authors. The last book I read of hers was Eight Ways to Tequila by Trisha O'Malley. And this was the eighth book in a series. I'm a sucker for a good series. On Kindle, if you give me the free first book, you know I'm gonna probably buy all the other books that come after because I have to get the whole story. So anyway, Eight Ways to Tequila is about a witch, a tarot reader, who lives in Tequila Keys, and she has a lot of man problems. <laughs> uh, she can't choose between this, you know, surfer guy or the business guy. Her best friend is a white witch, and her name is Althea. The characters in here just make me happy. They make me laugh. It's just joy. And when I found out that this was the last one of the series, she's ending the series, I was like, oh, I wanted it to go on. But she's starting a new one up, so that's good. <laughs> and I'll, I'm sure I'll read all of those as well. There's the pirate ghost that got let through the realm. Oh, it just makes me laugh, and he's a handful, Rafi. Oh, it's one of those light reads that you just kind of want to jump into, and you can just start from beginning to end and spend four hours and do nothing but read it. So those are usually my kind of books that I like to read. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend any of these series of her book. She has multiple. She has the Mystic Cove Wild Irish series, which is very good. It's all based in Ireland, and she depicts the scenery and the people so well. And it's based on Grace O'Malley, which is one of the original pirates. Oh, interesting. Back there, and they're all descendants and are magical of Grace O'Malley. And I mean, I went as so far as to order the Grace O'Malley Irish whiskey and gin <laughs> from Ireland and have it shipped to my house so we could have a tasting. So you get just things like that. I get really into it. She has now the Siren series, which also is, I have that next book that's on my to-do list. I read that after the book I'm reading now. Those might be the last two I read in this year because there's a lot going on, but uh, that's all about mermaids. So she has so many different series that deal with all of these different magical things, and she writes it so well, it's fascinating. So I would highly recommend Trisha O'Malley in any of her series. The Wild Irish Mystic Cove books are huge. I mean, I talk to people, friends, and all of a sudden they're talking about a book, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I know, I read that too. So it was kind of cute to connect over books because mm -hmm. I feel like I'm always the bookish one, that I'm the one always reading, and all my other friends are doing things, and I'm with my nose in a book, but here it is. <laughs> <laughs>
Is there a big focus on romance? I would say there is a lot. I mean, there are a lot of romantic things that come into play. It's very modern. She's a very modern writer. You can kind of relate, doesn't really want to commit. And it's an interesting read to see it from a different perspective because, I mean, I've been married for so long and I'm a little older and that kind of thing to see the inner workings of relationships in this day and age through a younger person's perspective is really interesting. Yeah, paranormal yeah. romance is one of my favorite genres for sure. And I would call that, Excellent. I would call that this, yes, I would. And most of the female characters are very strong characters, and they're usually with non-magical males. Oh. So it's the females are the magical ones, and they get involved with the mortals. The mortals, the humans, yeah. That's, Good. And that Grace O'Malley series, is that set modern day too, or back in the day when she was a pirate? It's set modern day, huh? but it goes all the way from Fiona, who's in her 80s and 90s, and it comes all the way to current, and there are even more current children and all of the descendants of Grace O'Malley, who all are magical, and then there's, you know, the one who was adopted and was always different, and she didn't know why, and she was being called to this cove goes there and finds out that she is also a descendant of Grace O'Malley. Again, the series. I'm a sucker for a series and the character building. I love them. That balances out our dark reads with a little bit of lightness. Mm -hmm. On that note, Janet Ivanovich has another book out, the 28th. So uh -huh. now that I'm all caught up through the pandemic, <laughs> where I've read all 27, I can finally, that's another book on my list to read that. Yeah, the Stephanie Plum series. Oh, I've been making my way through, too. I read, I stopped the past couple of months, but all throughout summer, I think I read books one through eight of the Janet Ivanovich Stephanie Plum series, and I'm hoping to continue it. The plan was to do it just every few books, because I have plenty of my own books at home on my shelves and I was like okay I'll just stop at the library and just every few books but then I got on a roll and I know, read the first one and I loved it and I just yeah got distracted by other things and haven't gone back but I'm wondering if the audiobooks are any good because then I could listen to it on audio. They are. They are? Okay, I, I've done a couple in the car in my CD. And I, I can imagine those it. would be really lively, too. Right. Because oh, yeah. the characters themselves are really yeah, characters. Some, you know, yeah. Huh. It, it's entertaining. And I love Lula. She makes me laugh. She makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to start over once I finish all of them. <laughs> Great. Heather, do you want to talk about your other book? Sure. My second book that I chose is If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio. It was published April of 2017, and I read this one October of 2021. I actually bought my copy of this book at the Friends of the Library book sale here at West Dallas, I think summer of 2017. And it's just been sitting on my shelf patiently, <laughs> waiting for me ever since to finally pick it up. And I heard that this particular novel had dark academia vibes, and so I thought it would be perfect for October, and I was not disappointed. If We Were Villains follows seven friends at a performing arts college in Illinois called the Delisher Classical Academy. I think it's about 2005 when it's set, when everybody is at school, and they perform exclusively Shakespeare plays mm -hmm. throughout their four years at university. 
and there are all different types of students at this university. There are art students that focus on kind of medieval art, ranging all the way up to Van Gogh. There are language students who focus mainly on Latin and Greek. There are dance students, sculpture students, music students who come together to create a symphony, but they all kind of separate into their cliques. And so the book actually looks in retrospect. One of the main characters of that group of seven friends ends up in jail, and it starts when he gets out of jail and the police officer who had covered their case back in the day is retiring around the time that this individual had spent about 10 years in prison. And so after he retires, he asks, can you walk me through it? Because I'm just dying to know what really happened. Because I don't think you told the truth, like you confessed to the crime and you served the time for it. But I don't, I want to know what happened. So he says, as long as nothing else is going to be reopened, he was like, nothing will. So he walks us through it, and it starts September of 2005, and they go into their senior year, these seven friends. They had started with other members, but generally the way the school works is as the years go by, fewer and fewer students come back. So it ends up as these seven friends, and it's just interesting to see how they more or less play the same characters on stage that they would mm. kind of in real life. How you have sexy Meredith who plays the seductress in a lot of the plays and you have the handsome debonair Richard who's very over the top and egotistical and he usually plays the main character and you have other characters who are more malleable and so they play some of the lesser roles just because they don't have those really distinctive qualities. And to kind of see that throughout the book as well is really interesting. The layout of the novel is notable as well because they'll kind of separate it into acts and then scenes as the, it's not written like a play in the sense of a dialogue, but it's interesting in following the arc because in that first semester of senior year, one of the seven dies and they think it was just an accident but as the school year goes on, different things come to light and come spring semester, other things happen. So it is kind of dark and tense and interesting to see how these handful of friends communicate with each other and how they recalibrate after losing someone that was so close to them. It's called We Were All Villains? If We Were Villains. If, <laughs> yeah. if We Were Villains. And that's... a. Uh, a line from one of the Shakespeare plays, of course. And ML Rio, I believe, studied in London, I think at King's College. I like stories about friends with something that they all go through together and then how does that affect them later in life kind of thing. I like those kinds of stories myself. You know what it made me think of for some reason is, has anyone seen that show only murders in the building. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love it. I haven't seen all of it. Is that the um, one with Steve Martin and Selena and, Gomez? Okay, yeah. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. You know, because of the friends mm-hmm. and all that. But yeah. I think I might watch that tonight. Catch up. And it's about podcasters. It's so good. <laughs> Is it? So meta. I love it's it. so meta. It's so funny. I'm a huge sucker for Martin Short and his shenanigans. 
Oh, he's a handful, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you just wouldn't imagine that as the trio of Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. It just sounds so interesting. It is. It's it's good. Martin Short only eats dips. (laughs) Yeah, it's very funny. I enjoyed it. Desiree, do you want to talk about your last one? So, Neon Gods by Katie Robert. It was published this year, and it's very loosely based on the myth of Hades and Persephone, and it draws its characters from Greek mythology. The story takes place in a contemporary city called Olympus, which is divided into the upper city and the lower city, and it's controlled by a group known as the Thirteen, and that's Zeus, Poseidon, Hera, Demeter, Athena, Ares. I figured out how to pronounce these before I did this. Dionysus, Hermes, Artemis, Apollo, Hephaestus, Aphrodite, and Hades. Although Hades has been out of the picture for many years. And he's kind of seen as a myth, actually. There isn't anyone holding the position of Hades that we know of. But the 13, they're like a ruling class, and each of their titles gets passed down. Uh, Zeus is the most powerful, and it's a legacy role, so it's passed down from parent to child. And the current Zeus has been in power for over three decades. Persephone's mother has recently acquired the title of Demeter, and in a play for power sets up her daughter Persephone with Zeus. And if married to Zeus, Persephone would become the new Hera and join the Thirteen, but Zeus is known to be abusive and violent. Three of his past wives are dead. Oh. So after Zeus brings a surprise proposal on Persephone at a party, she flees, and Zeus sends some of his men in pursuit People from the upper city aren't supposed to cross the river Styx into the lower city without permission. There's actually some kind of force field on the bridge that makes it nearly impossible to do so. But Zeus's men have chased Persephone to the bridge, and she has no option but to attempt to cross it. And a mysterious man beckons her from the banks of the lower city, and an exhausted and injured Persephone ends up in the arms of Hades, who brings her to his home. Turns out, Zeus murdered Hades' parents when Hades was just a boy, and he hates Zeus with a passion, but a treaty put in place by the Thirteen keeps the two men apart, so no crossing into each other's cities. And if either one crosses, it'll basically be war. But in an effort to escape her future as the next Hera, Persephone propositions Hades, saying that if she can stay with him under his protection, she will be his lover. She says that if Zeus thinks that she chose Hades over him, he would no longer want her because she would be tarnished. And Hades agrees to the arrangement, which is meant to last three months until Persephone turns 25 and can access her trust fund and flee for good. But to make their plan work, Persephone and Hades need to convince Zeus that they really are a couple, which they do by putting themselves on display at some of Hades' well-attended sex parties. So this is uh, definitely erotica. What I really liked about it is I liked the world that Katie Robert created. I like the nods to the Greek myths and characters. It's different because they're not actually gods. They don't have powers. Like I said, they're just kind of titles. And I thought 
the politics of it was really interesting. It's like if you're in the position of Poseidon, it's like ship trade is what you're mm. in charge of. And I like how they make the Greek mythology modern day. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and that I, too. I, that's a nice, interesting spin on it where you can introduce it to a younger generation where they might get interested in the actual mythology. That's And like you said, Desiree, they don't have powers, but they have political power. Yes, and political pull, which is also and influential. And then there's going to be a sequel, Electric Idol, Oh, and that's going to be about Persephone's sister. Song of Achilles and Circe are two of my absolute favorite books, mm. and I read both of those earlier this year, too. But I was hoping that next year I would spend more time just doing kind of like a flight read of all of these different types of books. Like Olympus, Texas is one I heard about that has some Greek myth nads mm. and like the Daughters of Sparta, lore, like... Because I think Greek mythology is really pervasive in literature today, and I think it would be interesting to just block off some time to just specifically read different interpretations by different authors. So I'll definitely add Neon Gods to that. Yeah, and uh, Laura Olympus was actually a read like I was going to mention. I haven't read much of it, but it's a romance webcomic by Rachel Smythe, and volume one was actually just published, so it's in print. We have it here at the library, but you can also find it on webtoons.com or the Webtoon app, and it's also the story of Persephone and Hades, and just really beautiful illustrations. I want to read more of that, too. It's another kind of contemporary retelling of the story with the the different Greek gods. Uh, You were saying, Michelle, how um, people are reinterpreting the stories. Like, even years ago, there are different stories about the different gods and goddesses, and they're not always consistent in how they're characterized. Like, Mm -hmm. different writers took their own spin on them. And so, in one story about Cupid and... Psyche, she's the nasty mother in law. <laughs> so, you know, of course, in other stories, she's the beautiful goddess of love. I have a, a little soft spot for uh, mythology, too, and I like how the stories get reinterpreted. Yeah. I did take mythology in high school. Mm-hmm. It sparked a lifelong interest because mm-hmm. I think it's intriguing. So yeah, I studied English at university, mm-hmm. so for our capstone project, we covered some of that. Mm-hmm. And the translated myths by Ted Hughes are okay. also really good, so I think I might reread those when I do this little mythology project that I'm looking to do. That sounds fun. Yeah. But it's just fun to see how they've been reinterpreted throughout the ages and from things that are as far-fetched as Neon Gods, where it really kind of creates a whole different myth just using very memorable names and Mm -hmm. notable names to something like Circe and Song of Achilles that take minor characters and tell what the story would have looked like from their perspective. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, what are all of you currently reading? I'm currently reading a book I picked up I was walking by the nonfiction section (laughs) here at the library, and even though my bookshelves at home cry out to me, I say, but I'll just look. And so I found a book called Millennial Nuns. They are sisters who have a strong online presence and post on social media and share the word of God that way, and how sharing the word of God translates to 
modern day, which actually pairs pretty well with followers, I guess, but much more lighthearted because <laughs> they share their faith and background and how they decided to become nuns or sisters and how to follow in this faith. And it's been really interesting. Interesting. I'm reading Gary Steingart's Our Country Friends, which got a glowing review in the New York Times. I didn't think I would read a pandemic novel, but it's a comedy, and I kind of was itching for a comedy. It's about this writer. It takes place during the beginning of the pandemic, and so he is with his wife and young daughter, and they live in upstate, I think it's upstate New York, but outside of New York City. And they have on their property a main house and then these little huts or cabins. And so he invites his good friends from high school and a few other folks. There's eight of them total, and they form this little community. But there's all kinds of shenanigans going on, including he invites this actor who's only ever referred to as the actor. And he's supposed to be working on the project with the writer, a TV series that they want to get going, and the actor is very hard to please, and it's pretty funny. I am enjoying it. (laughs) What about you, Desiree? I'm reading One Day in December, Ah, the books and coffee (laughs) pick for this month. I am about halfway through and have either of you read it? I haven't read it. I'm going to be out of town this weekend when the book club is, but I was reading the summary on the back because I checked out a copy just in case I wasn't going out of town. (laughs) And the back sounds really interesting, so I might actually read it in December as like a nice end of year lighthearted read. I think one of the things I like about the book club is because It's books I probably normally wouldn't read, so it takes me out of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. and forces me to read something that I wouldn't. And a book has to be really bad for me to not read it. 90% of the time, I like just about anything I read. I actually like that about it, too. Even though I'm choosing the book, (laughs) I try to choose something that I think will have a wide appeal, and I generally choose things that I wouldn't read just on my own. Because if I did that, we would be reading about child murderers and honey the badgers. Who the one by Seanan McGuire? I yes. want to read the next one. Do you? I do, and I, that's on my list too. Have you read? And I would not have ever picked that up, and I really liked it. Have you read any of her other books? No. Okay, because she has this series called the Encrypted Series, and it didn't have as much romance as I would like, actually, for like a paranormal romance, but... You might want to give it a try. It's very fun. Um, There's these really cute mice in it. (laughs) (laughs) Not what I thought you were going to say, but also very nice. They're like they're like this tribe, and they I forget the family name, but they've been with this family for decades. They're like gods to them. They're just really cute. I think the first book is called Discount Armageddon. Oh. Yeah, the reason I chose that Sean McGuire book is because I love her, and I actually didn't love that that book. But I'm I, it glad was, you liked it, was, it. It was very outside my something I would normally read, but I really did like it. She writes very well. She's and to brilliant. Me, yeah, if there's anything that's well written, I will enjoy reading it. So yeah. yeah. Had you I, read that book prior to book club, or you read it for the book club, and as you were reading, you realized I oh, want for this the one book club. club. Yeah, I don't think I've chosen one yet that I've actually read 
prior. Okay. <laughs> Which honestly, that's it's nice to go into it with your own eyes open. It's, yeah, it's a surprise for you too. It's more <laughs> fun because it's like then you're reading with the book club and you don't feel like you maybe have to reread it to refresh mm-hmm. your memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fresh perspective, fresh take. Michelle, what are you reading? I am reading State of Terror by Hillary Rodham Clinton and Louise Penny. How and is I want that? I really like it. Uh-huh. You know, I I've heard many good things about Louise Penny. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I want to read it. It sounds like something that I normally wouldn't read. I'm not really into politics. It's good. I wanted to finish it so I could talk about it, but there's a lot of characters, and it's well-written but very choppy. So to be able to follow it, it's a slow read for me. Like, I really have to think and concentrate, but it kind of gives you the inner workings of politics and terrorism and... Can kind of tell Hillary knows what she's talking about. It's a good read. I want to finish that, and then I want to read Trisha's book in December, and then January's a new year, and yeah. I don't have as much time to read as I used to, and I hate that. Oh. You know, because I like my TV time too, where I cuddle with the dog, and, yeah. and work gets in the way of the reading. <laughs> Doesn't it though? It's just such a distraction from our true priorities. Yes. Well, I love Louise Penny. It sounds like it's different with. Hillary being on board. Louise Penny does kind of, there's a lot of morality, I think, that she explores, and like her main detective is a very kind man. That's kind of the thing about the books, is that instead of the, you know, hardened detective who is divorced and has a drinking problem and is kind of corrupted by the brutality of the work and solving murders, he's a really kind man. But I just love that series, and I I would say the beginning ones aren't the strongest. It gets better as you go on, but I'm one of those, like, that's one of the series that I read during the pandemic last year. I I had heard good things, and I read, like, the first three before the pandemic, and then I was reading other things, and I said, well, I kind of want to get back into something. How many are in the series? Oh, dear. I think she's on, like... 16 or something. Yeah, okay, see, and I'm a sucker for these. Yeah. You love a good series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard good things about Louise Penny's mystery novels, but I haven't gotten a chance to read them yet. She's a good writer. I mean, just even reading this, it, it's well written. <clears throat> thanks again for joining us. This was so fun to talk about books with you both. It was. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting us. Yeah, this is great. It's fun. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Desk with Sarah, Desiree, Michelle, and Heather. We hope you enjoyed part two of our favorite reads this year. You can find the book titles we discussed in the show notes. Head to astalislibrary.org for more information and click on the podcast icon. If you're interested in joining us for an upcoming book club, we'll discuss the literary thriller We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker january 15th for books and coffee on february 3rd we'll talk about the memoir untamed by glennon doyle for nonfiction book club for more info go to westdallaslibrary.org slash events we hope you'll join us next month for great YA reads you'll love no matter what age you happen to be that's all for now see you next time